All right. Uh, I don't think we're going to say our names to start off this episode because, uh, and I'll explain why right now. So, Taisei forgot his microphone, which is too bad. Um, but I think it's okay because it's allowing us to try out a new technique, uh, which I think may provide some benefits. For example, we can guarantee no echo, but it will also have some drawbacks because this technique is we just have one microphone and we're going to pass it back and forth every time that one of us uh, wants to talk. So that's why I figured we wouldn't have to say our names this time. Um, Taisei, what do you think of this, this new strategy? Here we go. I'm passing the mic off to you right now. Yeah, I'm a real bozo for this one, <laughs> for getting my mic like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's real talking stick vibes because we gotta we gotta pass it around to talk. And uh, yeah, that you know what? That's a nice way to spin it. It's an experiment. We get to try out new things. The cover for my <laughs> my idiocy. Um, but yeah. Oh, I my name is Taizefu. There we go. <laughs> I said it anyways. So yeah, that's uh that's the bit. Would you would you like the microphone back? <laughs> We're going to get used to this. One interesting thing, just from looking at the sound waves, is I can see that you are straight up louder than me. And I know it's nothing to do with microphone volume anymore. I can just straight up see which one of us is louder and which one of us is quieter. So, let's get going. I think maybe, well, I guess we, t- we usually do kind of just talk in big blocks anyway, but maybe more so today that we don't have to pass it back and forth every 15 seconds. Uh, and the team this week is the Washington Capitals. And I would say, in general, the overview is uh, not very good. Doesn't shine very well on the Washington Capitals. Um, interesting things, though, kind of going into the week. I mean, Sonny Milano was still pretty new. Uh, I, I think he had been with the Hershey Bears for a little while and hasn't played so much in the NHL with Washington this year. Uh, and they also claimed Nicholas Abe Kubel. There was a totally brand new Washington Capital uh, to keep an eye on, uh, who wasn't playing the first game of the week, but, but played the second one. Uh, and the week began with a, an embarrassing 3-2 loss to the Arizona Coyotes. Would you like to walk us through it? Yeah, not 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 a good look. Uh, first of all, I would like to comment on the jerseys again. Um, as is the weekly bit. This is the one game where they kind of stood out. It's like both teams were wearing black, and I didn't understand that. Uh, at least at least on first glance, you know. I think it was. What, did they have the reverse retros, like the black Washington jersey? Um, but you know, it looked like the the, the capital, not the capital, but the the fucking coyotes were wearing like some sort of fucking off black too. So visually, it looked like I was watching twelve players on the same team, and that was kind of misleading. You know, I they should figure that one out. Anyways, uh, yeah. So they play the shitty team in the Arizona Coyotes. So, you know, let's let's see what happened here. Ovechkin scored a goal, another one. He broke a record with this one, right? Yeah. Uh, most goals by a single player with a single team. Um, you know, classic power play goal there. Uh, and then they made it 2 nothing, because Shane Gostisberg goofed behind the net, uh, handed it right to Anthony Mantha, made it 2 nothing, And it looked pretty good, you know? like It looked like taking care of business, up 2 nothing in the third period, and then they completely melted down. Uh, Coyote scored, like, two very successive goals um, where... It was a Josh Brown fucking scored on a rebound. Uh, then they 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 challenged out for goaltender interference. They lost it. They took a they took a penalty because of that. They killed the penalty, but then immediately give up another goal to fucking Nick Ritchie. <laughs> nice shot. Um, but you know they they were they were being consistently pressured. It wasn't like a one off. Coyotes were like dominating play for that little bit of time. 
and then uh, the backbreaker with like under a minute left. Nick Ritchie scores again, squeaks by fucking Darcy Kemper. And just like that, you went from 2 nothing up against the Coyotes to getting zero points out of it. Just an, an embarrassing, embarrassing time there. Uh, I'll start with the jerseys as well. Because, <laughs> um, because what I noticed, these, they're kind of like the 2005 style ones. I was trying to describe the font like of the names on the back. The only adjective I could think of was British. It seemed like a, a, the names were, can you visualize the font? Okay, well, it was kind of like a a British font. Um, anyway, yeah, so I was looking up when I found out that Ovechkin broke this record of most goals with a single team. I was like, oh, interesting. And my first interpretation was most goals by a player who's been with one team his whole career. Uh, well, that's not exactly the case. You know, it's just most goals, goals with the one team. And Ovechkin is actually now third all-time, well, it has been for a little while, third all-time on the just all-time goals list. So behind Gretzky and Howe. And so it's Gordie Howe who holds the record for most, or held the record for most goals with one team, which was 786 with the Red Wings. And you may remember how many goals Gordie Howe ended his career with, 801, which means he had 15 goals with the Hartford Whalers. And I don't know how familiar you are with Gordie Howe's career trajectory. He was with the Red Wings for like a long-ass time. I think when like took a hiatus for two years when he was like forty, then went <laughs> to the WHA for like eight years. Played one season in the NHL with the Hartford Whalers when he was like fifty two, fifty one, fifty two. Scored fifteen goals and then retired. So yeah, that's the record Ovechkin's broken as of uh, as of the other day. Good to know. I have this font right in front of me. It looks like Times New Roman. You know, no. I like Times New Roman. <laughs> so do you like the font? I don't know. Undecided. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the jersey itself, I think, is okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, back to Ovechkin. Uh, he looked pretty good this week, I would say. You know, he's still this. If I were to, to describe this Capitals offense, it's uh, the power play, and that's it. And uh, he's, uh, you know, certainly a, a mainstay producer there. Uh, so, yeah, Ovechkin's still chugging along. And more than ever, now that this team, like, stinks. Uh, it really does feel like, you know, it's the Alex Ovechkin party time. We're going to try to get him some goals. Even though, you know, I'm sure they're trying and they're injured to shit and everything. Uh, but, yeah, you know what? It's even it's even more Ovechkin show when the rest of the team sucks ass. Uh, yeah, do you, want to, do, you, do you have anything else to add about this game? Or shall we move to the Oilers? Yes, I have one more thing to add, which is on that first Nick Ritchie goal that made it 2-2. Uh, it was one of those situations where they didn't realize the puck went in and the play went on. And the arena, like, sounded the buzzer to be like, stop playing. We looked at the goal and it went in. And it was, such, it was so strange because the puck hit the crossbar, bounced down, uh, and when it hit the ice, you could clearly see that it was barely but fully past the goal line. And I guess struck the ground at such an angle so that it immediately, like, bounced back out into the crease. It was like a magic trick. Just crazy. Uh, what was it? There was a, there was a different crossbar sequence with the Capitals this week. What was it? Was there? I don't remember. I distinctly remember a crossbar somewhere in there. Oh, Sonny Milano. That's what it was. No, in in the Oilers game, uh, that they, he almost scored like the first goal, and they thought it went in, but then it didn't. So there you go. There's your transition. 
to the beginning of the Oilers game. Fucking Sonny Milano almost scoring a goal uh, because the Oilers are terrible in their defensive zone. I don't know if you remember, but like there were three of them all bunched up behind the net against two fucking Capitals. They lose the board battle, and Sonny Milano has like no one within like fucking two yards of him uh, until he rung it off the crossbar. Uh, but uh, the Caps ended up actually uh, opening the scoring. Warren Fogle looking like an ass out there trying to carry the puck out the zone. Uh, Dylan Strom, you know, pickpocketed him and uh, made it one nothing. Uh, then he scored again. Nice little tip in front of the net. Uh, then uh, McDavid did the McDavid thing, uh, just weaved around the zone, made it 2-1. Uh, let's see, what else happened? And they had a 5-on-3, scored a nice goal there, solid, solid puck movement. Like I said, the fundamental offense on this team is the power play. Uh, Oilers made a 3-2, nice little goal by Nugent Hopkins, and Ovechkin looked bad defensively. Scored another power play goal to make a 4-2, Ovechkin. Um, yeah, and then, what was it, Dreisaitl scored a goal to make a 4-3. Ovechkin had a cool chance on the spinorama, but he didn't score. And then they scored another fucking power play goal. Uh, make it 5-3. Uh, Oilers kind of made it interesting late. Uh, but uh, yeah, in case you were keeping count, I think that's four power play goals that the Capitals had. Uh, and yeah, they, they, that was basically the story of why they won the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one could make the argument it's a great concern to rely so heavily on the power play. Yes. Uh, um, but this was their best game of the week, not just because it was their only win of the week. Um, they seem to have a bit of a fire under their ass for parts of the game after getting embarrassed by the Coyotes and losing in, a, in an extremely uninspired way, which I think is maybe an understatement. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the story with, with this game against Edmonton as well is that Part of it is the Edmonton's being bad on the pen is the Oilers being bad on the penalty kill. Is obviously, you know, the other side of this equation we have here. Um and we you were talking before about oh, you know, them being like totally decimated by injuries. Um going into the season, that was something like they already knew. They knew that like Backstrom was gonna miss a ton of time, Tom Wilson was gonna miss a ton of time, maybe both like even all season. Which has been two thirds of your top line for the past several years. Uh and so they made up for those major losses by, you know, they acquired Connor Brown. They signed Dylan Strom, that type of thing. Um, but now that the season started, the problem has gotten even worse. John Carlson was out all week. Dmitry Orlov was out almost all week. TJ Oshie is out very long term. Connor Brown's out for like six months. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like you can't expect any team to kind of to to survive when you're that's I, I kind of lost count. That's what like six key players that are, that are out of the lineup now. So it does make sense that they're looking pretty stinky. Yeah, that's fair. I think, but it, it's tough to gauge what the ceiling of this team is. And I still believe that even you know, like if they were reasonably healthy, this team still wouldn't be very good. Like they, it looks like they get basically no offensive production. They every game they f- fail to score more than one goal at five on five, right? Uh, and it's, it feels like they get not nothing in terms of offensively from their depth. And yeah, part of it is you know guys are called up because you know dudes are injured. But even then, you know like we, what was it? Backstrom's a hip. It's the hip injury, right? And so we don't even know if he's ever going to come back with that, um, or how good he's going to be when he does. And you know like how how much how much does the fucking thirty five year old T J Oshie move the needle? 
Um, I can't imagine it's that much. I don't know if he's actually that old, but I remember him being surprisingly old. Uh, and yeah, John Carlson's obviously the big one. Uh, him and him, I don't know how long Orlov's out. Uh, but yeah, that defense looks horrible without John Carlson. But you know, they're they're just that that just means they're one injury away or one or two injuries away from having a horrendous decor. Uh, and so I don't I don't think that's a formula for for a winning team. And I think I think I had them preseason in my in the playoffs in my predictions um but i i take that back even healthy i wouldn't have the faith in this team i don't think the depth is there anymore to uh kind of carry them through i had them out of the playoffs in the preseason because of course i had to have the new jersey devils in there looking better by the day anyway um i wouldn't uh undersell the absence of backstrom and i think it kind of comes through through watching kuznetsov play because he has to carry a burden he hasn't really carried before with Backstrom out for such a long time because Backstrom I mean has been a obvious well like an offensive superstar for a lot of his career but also kind of a very very like stabilizing force to the kind of more erratic offense of Evgeny Kuznetsov who I think is maybe served better as like a, a 1b but we shouldn't also forget about the absence of Tom Wilson because despite the fact that we hate his guts he is one of those you know spark plug unique players or whatever you want to say who hits hard and whatever punches people in the face and scores a bunch of goals uh which is uh which does provide significant on ice value um but with all these players missing and especially if john carl i think john carlson's actually back today but if he you know is out of the lineup again in the near future things tend to fall apart pretty quickly so i don't think this team is making the playoffs let's talk about the last game of the week against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were on a seven-game losing streak heading into this game, and then shit-kicked the Capitals 4-1. Yeah, uh, not Darcy Kemper's finest game, I gotta say, is what I'll start with. Um, so yeah, the Penguins kind of started off, Jason Zucker scored from like behind the goal, or almost, uh, out uh, on the side, and Kemper just kind of kicked into the net. Uh, Brock McGinn then scored shorthanded, and, and, and like that one squeaked right by Kemper too, and was like dribbling into the net. Um, the three nothing goal. So this is just like an onslaught at this point. Uh, it was Jeff Petrie. Shout out to Jeff Petrie scoring a goal there. Uh, but you know Kemper did leave like half the fucking net open uh, <laughs> on that shot. Uh, so that was pretty bad. Um, I think it was Marcus, Marcus Johansson scored. Uh, nice little goal there. Nice assist by Sonny Milano, make it three one. But it's too late. It's too late. Jake Gensel scores an empty net goal. Uh, and the game's over. Uh, it really, like, the, the offense in this game in particular, I felt, even, like, comp- yeah, even compared to the, against the, the, the Coyotes game, was particularly poor, uh, where, yeah, I just didn't see the Capitals really control muster or anything, uh, for 60 minutes, and, yeah, they, they didn't really get the power play opportunities, so they didn't get, they didn't generate shit, uh, and, yeah, once Camper let in those soft goals, it didn't seem like they, they ever had an avenue to ever make it back into the game. Yeah, what I was saying before about like the Oilers game and them kind of having a fire under their ass, it feels like increasingly the anomaly with this team, and especially you know with all those missing players like we were talking about before. I get when you end up with you know Eric Gustafson and Matt Irwin as your bottom pair, and Connor Sherry on your top line. But speaking of Connor Sherry, tell me if you notice this too. I found like a disproportionate amount of times where the Capitals gave up a goal this week. He was like right in the thick of it. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Maybe it just the couple times it did, it stuck out to me for some reason. But I don't know if that's uh, 
I've never been a Connor Sherry hater or defender. He never moved the needle for me much, for me much either way. Uh, let's look up his plus minus. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's see what's up there. Minus one, minus two, minus. <laughs> this past week. Okay. That's probably not so wildly different from the rest of the team, but um, yeah, there's a Connor Sherry update. Um, Washington also was uh at home the this whole week. Uh, oh, I just by the way, for anyone who didn't hear, because Tyson doesn't have a mic, I forgot Connor Sherry's like minus one, minus two, and minus one on the week. Anyway, Washington was at home all this week. I think they have like a somewhat significant homestand, and they still kind of were playing quite poorly uh and there's one last note i wanted to make when i saw darcy kemper give up a bunch of stinkers to the penguins i was thinking because you know vanacek and samsonov who were so bad last year have both bounced back with their new respective new teams at least a bit they're doing they're doing pretty solidly whereas darcy kemper you know not great all the time with washington so i looked up who's the goalie coach for washington and his name is Scott Murray. He's been there since September 2017, which means he was hired right before their Stanley Cup season, uh, which you may remember that season for Holtby being very bad and losing the starter's job to Grubauer, and then Grubauer uh, being bad in their first two games of the playoffs and the job going back to Holtby, who led them to Stanley Cup victory. Um, but it was not long after this where Holtby kind of got bad and never bounced back. Uh, and yeah, so maybe despite his Stanley Cup ring, Scott Murray's a bad goalie coach. What do you think about this? I think I think you're you're taking away an awful lot in terms of Kemper just from this one week where he was bad. I think Lindgren like they didn't get a single like over 900 goalie performance all week, but overall so far in the season, Darcy Kemper's save percentage is 916. Uh, which is Not good <laughs> shockingly high for the quality of team that he has in front of him. So I think, yeah, 916 and he's 4 6 and 1. So I think it, with, with this season in particular with the Capitals, I think that it's the skaters that are to blame. I don't know what more you can ask of Darcy Kemper other than, like, I don't know, get a better save percentage, but it's fine right now. It's above league average. And yeah, I don't, I don't this goaltending hypothesis. I think uh, Holby fell off a cliff because of his age. He never recovered. It's not like he went to Vancouver and got good, right? He was just terrible throughout. Um, well, who else was there? Well, Samsonov, I think, I don't think he's shown anything in Toronto to show that he's been great. Vanacek, either. I mean, he's like, okay, right? But he's, in, he's behind a really, really good team that's dominating possession uh, in the Devils. And so, you know, yet to see if we can, he can sustain that over an extended period of time or kind of really show that he's more than a, a league average goaltender. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's a goaltending thing. I think it's uh, perhaps a talent acquisition side of things. And Darcy Kemper seems to be doing okay. All right, Scott Murray, I'll lay off you for now. You're safe for, for the time being. You're <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Uh, we will also talk about uh, a news story that, that broke right a couple hours before we started recording last week, which is, of course... Uh, the Bruins signing Mitchell Miller, because there have been significant updates on that story. Notably, about three days later, the Bruins uh, decided to part ways with them uh, upon learning, quote-unquote, new information 
that new information presumably being being everyone's still mad about this i can't believe it um but, but of course what inevitably ends up arising of these statements is you're either uh ignorant enough not to have you know seeked out the public knowledge that literally everyone knew that we knew or uh stupid enough to think that uh that we that we just wouldn't care uh and so what the result is probably going to be is uh, a buyout so Mitchell Miller is going to get a ton of money and uh the Bruins are going to have a small cap hit for what's it going to be 6 years I I don't know exactly what the, I, it's also an entry level deal so it might be a little different um but anyway yeah the Bruins have just you know totally bungled this situation in an extremely embarrassing way but a very interesting thing to come out of this um cuz Gary Bettman was doing a a press conference uh, in Finland for the like Colorado Columbus games in Finland. Uh, so in that way, the Bruins timed this especially bad because they signed this deal like hours before Gary Bettman was going to talk to the media. Uh, but anyway, he was asked about this and he said something to the effect of, we weren't consulted before this deal was signed, even though it, Cam Neely said that they had like told Bettman or told the NHL or something. But maybe that's different from consulted in terms of, like, being asked about it or, like, asked for permission. Gary Benton basically said, like, as it stands, Mitchell Miller is not eligible to play in the NHL. Um, maybe that will change one day. And then it was also found out that the same is actually true for Logan Mayu, despite the fact that this was, like, not talked about at all when he signed his deal not very long ago, that he wasn't eligible for the NHL. And I, it's kind of sounded in a way, like like Gary Bettman kind of being very arbitrary about it. I don't know if there actually is something official in the CBA or there's some kind of official protocol for if a player is in this or that kind of legal trouble, then this or that thing needs to happen for them to be cleared to play. If it's just kind of Gary Bettman going, I don't want you in the league even though you've signed a deal, that does send a dangerous precedent despite the fact that it's okay. that like It, w- it would make sense for there to be a protocol that prohibits either one of these two specific cases, but if Gary Bettman just kind of waves his magic wand and go, you don't get to play, then then that could uh, be pretty dangerous down the road. Yeah, and that, absolutely. I think that's why the PA kind of had its ears perked up about this and, and kind of raised the flag uh, in terms of, yeah, you, you don't want this to set a precedent where the commissioner kind of willy-nilly do, does that. So I think, you know, it's clear that it is pretty arbitrary. There's nothing that, I, that I've seen kind of written about it because everybody was talking about how kind of off the cuff it seemed for Gary Bettman to just kind of release that information out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, it does seem like he's, it, it kind of does make it seem like he's covering for his own ass uh, and the NHL's image uh, in a sense because, yeah, they, they talked about, I think it was Bill Daly in particular, the guy that they named, uh, that the Bruins said they ran it by. Um, and, I mean, they had to know, right? Like, they, apparently there were other teams looking at him. Um, so I find it extremely, extremely hard to believe that the NHL was in the dark on this. Uh, and I think they saw like just just how shitty of a situation that the Bruins put themselves in, uh, and you know Gary Bettman I don't know fucking thought of this shit off the cuff, but I don't think it 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 really has any sort of standing currently as it is, other than him being the commissioner and saying it in a press conference. Um, so yeah, something to track for sure. I think uh, there should probably be a written policy about it at this point, other than you know hoping that Gary Bettman has some. 
ounce of morality in his blood uh, to kind of go out of his way to do this, which I don't think we can count him on on a, on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, no, just the the Bruins. It, we've said this before when it comes to like shitty players. It seems that teams still like think of sh- like shitty people uh, as an inefficiency inefficiency to exploit. Uh, we talked about it with like fucking Evander Kane when he got his chance, um, but teams clearly do not understand uh like the the moral basis for these signings or why you shouldn't be signing these people because yeah they weren't the Bruins weren't the only team other teams were sniffing around Mitchell Miller because you know he had a good fucking season in in whatever league he was playing last year uh and yeah it seems that they don't even think twice about oh why is this guy unsigned in the first place he certainly didn't have some sort of crazy fucking insane scandal um where you know, he's still, he's, he's, he haven't, he hasn't even really done anything restorative, uh, is also what we found out. I think, uh, we saw Isaiah, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, he came out with a statement, um, that was, you know, pretty fucking tough read, basically going, um, he, Mitchell Miller hasn't done shit, uh, in terms of, you know, m- even beginning to try to make up, uh, for, for, the, for the fucking damage that he did. Uh, and if there was, if there was, you know, yeah, this was this was really kind of the, the final nail in the coffin. If if this doesn't convince you that this guy doesn't belong in the league, um, I don't know what will. But you know, you didn't you didn't need the statement to figure out that this guy should not have been signed in the first place. Yeah, another very interesting thing to point out that I think shows the severity of this situation in particular is the reaction of the Bruins players to the signing. Um, is of course uh, there were uh, Patrice Bergeron also had that interview with Elliot Friedman. Another reason that this signing, above all else, well, not about, along with all else, was signed at a terrible time, because Bergeron was scheduled for this interview anyway, like going into Hockey Night Canada against the Leafs, and the signing happens the day before, so of course that's going to become the main topic of conversation. Uh, and there were headlines uh, around it. I don't remember. Basically, the headlines, I don't remember what they were exactly, but understated uh, how critical Bergeron was of the signing in the first place. Uh, Bergeron said some things about it. Brad Marchand, Nick Foligno as well, basically saying like, uh, you know, we don't stand for this. Um, if it's the same kid coming into this locker room, uh, who did that when he was fourteen, he would not be welcome here. He's got a long way to go, and there's pretty much no other example, uh, in NHL history, I would imagine, of, of teams bashing a player who was just signed. Uh, which I think just goes to show the uh, how how really unique this situation was in terms of how terrible it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was. I mean, good good for good for those players for for coming out uh, and making that kind of statement. But it really does. Yeah, it goes to speak to how fucked up that process was uh, for the Bruins. To yeah, like people made the point that they this was the peak of their goodwill within their fan base, for instance, because they have had such a torrid start uh they were doing so well and then they lit it on fire uh in the span of like 30 in the span of one signing uh it's yeah i don't understand how they got to they they came to this decision um if anything this goes to show just uh the the need for you know diversity in general um you know both uh in terms of you know the different minorities that are underrepresented but also you know the kind of fucking mindset that these people bring uh, because it's clearly some sort of fucking echo chamber in that ruins management. If nobody stood up and like put a veto on this, this is 
This is categorically insane procedure to to have approved this through multiple layers of of you know player scouting and then just the, all all the way up to Don Sweeney and even the fucking owner for for signing the contract in the first place. Um, it's it's absurd because yeah, they they nowhere they didn't they didn't consult the victim. They really just took Mitchell Miller at his word, uh, and, and all the, and all the gloss that came with it, and they didn't do a single inch of digging into. You know, is this guy actually re- rehabilitated? Because it's not. You look at his fucking cowardly behavior now, Mitchell Miller. Uh, it's all it's all like he, he's the victim um, where, you know, he's not getting the opportunity. He's being robbed of the opportunity to play because of something he did eight years ago. But it's clear, very clearly the same guy uh, who hasn't really made any meaningful progress because he has never taken any accountability for it. He still continues to not take accountability for it. Uh, and... Yeah, he's still trying to weasel his way in there uh, and, and, I don't know, clear his name or whatever the fuck. But it's just, yeah, it, 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 everybody's approach to this is, is screwed up. But the fact that organizationally the Bruins did this, it's, uh, it, it's a sign of, of rot up and down the ladder. Yeah, well, they, they took Mitch Miller at his word and they took his agent, Eustace King, at his word as well. Um, which, I don't know if you saw a lot of what he said. Basically, um, uh, his agent had just some, like, abhorrent like exaggerations and outright lies about like he's done work with this organization when in reality he spoke to them once shit like that um uh yeah and i think also i i think unless i'm mistaken patrice bergeron actually said in the friedman interview like i voiced my concerns to the front office or like to cam neely about this and then they went ahead and did it anyway patrice bergeron are you kidding? He's he voiced concerns, and you said, you know, this still seems like a good idea. What's wrong with you? Uh, anyway, uh, do you have anything to to add on this? All right. Um, so let's move on to a significantly less important problem, which is offside review. Uh, um, so this topic has come up once again, and because it comes up somewhat routinely. We don't talk about it every time there's a goal called back or whatever because we've been talking about it all the time. But I think this is a special circumstance because Trevor Zegers scored one of the most beautiful goals I've seen in my entire life. It was not just a Michigan. It was like a, a, an emphatic go-fuck-yourself Michigan type of goal. Uh, he like slammed that puck right into the back of the net. And it was amazingly done. And yet it didn't count. Because someone was offside like 30 seconds prior. And all of a sudden, the discussion's back. And I think I finally, after all these years, hammered, hammered, hammered out my, my perfect stance on this question. Are you ready? Okay. Because, you know, I've had the, I've spoken about like, offside should just be abolished. And I stand by that completely. And I think other people... unless there's something like wrong in their heads must naturally come to the same conclusion as well because the very the very common thing people say is uh clearly you don't have to get the call right all the time if it's if it's super close to the point you have to look at it for more than like 10 or 15 seconds the goal stays to which i would say if it's okay to not follow the rule you shouldn't have the rule anymore if it's okay that, oh, the rule was only broken a little bit and we don't really care, then maybe the rule is the problem and you should just get rid of the rule. And if it's okay for you to be offside by a little bit, but like not a lot, then maybe there's 
some kind of like double line solution. I don't expect them to go painting new lines all over the rings, but I really think abolishing offside is something that would improve the game tremendously because you know the, I think I might have mentioned this before. Offside was originally introduced in like the 20s as a way to counteract the massive bump in scoring that came after they legalized the forward pass. They legalized the forward pass. There were too many goals. They introduced offside so that people wouldn't cherry pick anymore. And we know that there wouldn't be cherry picking if offsides went away because we don't see it now. Because you you could very clearly easy easily cherry pick near the blue line or in the neutral zone, and no one does because it's it's tactically bad. So as soon as offside is gone, basically all you would get is is players. Is you get more exciting stretch passes, you would get more time in the offensive zone, uh, and you would also uh, get you know. This the thing where as soon as the puck comes out, not everyone has to clear and like the offense is dead. The other team would actually have to like get possession of the puck and break out. So I think there's really no downside to this, uh, and the offside reviews would would be gone along with the rule itself. Uh, if anyone disagrees with me, I think you are just incorrect and wrong. Interesting. You know, I gave it a good thought. My one concern with the ob- abolition of the offside rule is that it would slow down transition play moving out of the defensive zone because you know if you have like some stragglers back there uh well like usually defensemen once the puck clears the zone they don't have to worry about them right because those people have to tag up uh but you know if there's no offside then that defenseman uh, who's who's the, the offensive defenseman has to stay back in order to you know guard for you know transition play coming back the other way uh so that would be my one concern otherwise i certainly see the validity of your point I don't know if I'm fully on board because uh, I honestly, I don't know what the impact would be. I think they would be quite far reaching and you would see a, a very different game. I think, yeah, you don't see pick, cherry picking in the neutral zone, but also it's a, it's a big difference just distance wise. If you're allowed to cherry pick, you know, in, in, in the, in the, in the offense, in the defense, just cherry pick in general in the zone. Um, yeah, it needs to be examined further. I'm not on this train completely, is what I'll say. Okay. To your first point, um, I would I would consider that, and I would say I know there are types of actual hockey. It's like delayed offside, I think. I I don't remember which one's which, but where like there's no offside going into the zone, but once the puck comes out, then everyone does have to tag up. This is something I would be okay with, as a transitional demand. <laughs> Negotiation, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, as for cherry picking like near the net, uh, like sh- like b- leaving your team shorthanded so you can hang out by the opposing goalie, I think if you want to do that, go right ahead. And if the other team wants to defend against it, they are free to do so as well. I really don't foresee this uh, doing anything except to change the game to make it more exciting. I changed my mind on this. Uh, I thought about it, and I realized that if you have a cherry picker on the other side of the net and you need someone to defend it, that's just more space in the offensive zone for something to happen because there's less players in the offensive zone. So you know what? I'm on board with that aspect. I'm okay with it. I think it would make it more exciting. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'm good with this. Fuck the offside. What's the point? What's the point? <laughs> you know, like on a, on a zone entry, who cares if you're behind the puck carrier? Who functionally cares? I... I, 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 I I really don't understand why at this arbitrary point 
uh, on the ice. You need to be behind the puck carrier on a rush. It doesn't really make any sense, does it? Um, I guess it's really defending against the cherry pick, which is fair. But I think that can be worked around. But really, on a rush, it, it bothers me more now because uh, it seems extremely arbitrary and uh, kind of dumb. So there you have it. In conclusion, the wheel of history never stops turning forward. And I honestly think <laughs> it is abundantly obvious to me at this point that one day there will be no more offsides in hockey. Might be in five years, might be in 10 years, might be in 100 years. But it is going to happen um, because it is, it is how hockey progresses into the future. This is, this is clearly where we're heading. I have no doubt in my mind about this. It's a very optimistic take on the state of hockey, I gotta say. The, the optimism that this sport tends towards progression uh, into something better, you know, just in general. I don't know, like it doesn't tend to, to, I see, we see some changes. You know, obviously it's not the dead puck era anymore, like truly. But uh, I think I think you're asking of a lot because what, this has been established for literally a hundred years now i see the discontent but will hockey fans and hockey people more importantly take a look at this and you know think hard enough to come to the same conclusion that we have i don't have the same optimism that you do that they'll reach that intellectual point i think because like offside is like, well, offside review is part of the reason for this, but this kind of like abolish offside has been a very kind of fringe discussion for a while. I think it's only a matter of time before we see it tried out in some low-level league or at least some variation of it. Uh, and I think, I think it'll grow from there because everyone will see it improves the game vastly. I don't, I don't know as much about football, but I feel similarly about football would be a million times more fun if there was no punting, every every fourth down, or if you're in Canada like us, every last down, uh, <laughs> you've got to uh, you got to go for it. You got to throw the ball. You got to try and pass that line. And if you're you know on your own twenty yard line, too bad. You know, you try not to turn the ball over by failing. That's an interesting take. I think. Uh, well, I, I sure on the on the football side of things. I think teams should just punt less in general. I think. I think it should it, be banned. I don't know if it should be banned. <laughs> I think it should. Yeah, I think it's fine as an option. I think it's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think it, the, logically that would obviously they're not going to just do it in the NHL and <laughs> keep offside in the lower leagues. Yeah, logically there would there would have to be a progression. Maybe you should start that league, the 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 NOL NOHL the no offsides hockey league. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah certainly yes we would need to start in the major, some sort of small league uh and it would have to succeed for sure um but i think this discussion is is still far too much in the fringes to even even see that kind of thing yeah i i put it on par with baseball you know like you, you see shit like i don't know automatic umpires like those robot umpires or like other rule changes that they try in the minor leagues, and it's like, I don't know if, if hockey feels like on par with like the progression speed of baseball. 
maybe even slower. You know what? I think hockey develops at a slower rate than the sport of baseball, which is an incredible thing to say, <laughs> considering the nature of the sport of baseball. But yeah, now that I've said that, I have even less hope. You know, I feel like hockey is in, in a rural sense. When was the last time shit changed? Think about it. I can't think of a last big rule change other than like fucking hybrid icing. You know, like what? <laughs> That's it. So yeah, like at least I don't know. Baseball is like fucked around with the shift and all that. Hockey hasn't done anything. Nothing. I think sports are actually, and these two in particular, are a great example of the subjective factor lagging behind the objective factor. Because these like automatic umpires you're talking about have been in existence for years and have been a possibility to implement for years. And like, you know, the game of baseball was ready for it to make the game better. But they were like, no, we like our, our little guy there pointing at the whatever. And only now are they really starting to lean very heavily on that automation. Uh, and we see the same thing in hockey. We see, we watch the game and we both agree this would be better without offside. In our minds, you know, I mean, sorry, in the like objective situation, it makes sense. But in people's minds, need to catch up to the real world. And sometimes this can be a very long process um, that can be delayed for decades. But one day, it eventually inevitably occurs. Yes, like, <laughs> like the universe progressing through entropy, this will definitely happen is what you're saying. This is yeah. an inevitable conclusion. It is okay. a, a historical necessity. <laughs> for what? A necessity for what? what the... to be banned. <laughs> yeah, 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 obviously. Or else what? What's going to happen if it doesn't? It'll also happen later. Okay, all right. This is, this is a take. This is certainly a take. Um, okay, well, unfortunately, they did exist for this goal. <laughs> Trevor Zegers' beautiful Michigan bit was, uh, was, was disallowed, which is a crime. I agree. I was, I was a sick. It was... Man, he tried that. I don't remember the last one he did, the last Michigan goal, but this one, you know, it seemed like it had even more speed and he was even more like he was, it was, he was barely trying. Like he had really, you know, got this down uh, to a muscle memory thing because yeah, it was just very, I, well, I don't remember the word you used to describe it, but it was, it was very vigorous, emphatic, emphatic nice. Uh, and yeah, it should have counted. It absolutely should have counted. And it was on the zone entry, right? It, was, it wasn't even like holding the fucking, it was on the fucking zone entry, what is that? which is even dumber, right? So, there we go. Dumb shit. Should have been a goal. But good, good stuff from Zegers. Um, yeah, I know you wanted to shout out some teams. Uh, we, can, we can move to that. Uh, a couple of teams that have surprised us, perhaps. I know they, uh, their, their name's showing up there. Yeah. Oh, better. Um... Yeah, these two teams, I am shocked. I see the Kraken are on a five-game win streak, and the Jets are doing apparently well. So uh, let's start there. What would you like to say about the Kraken and the Jets? i like to say about the Kraken. Um, you clown on me when I said their forward group looks pretty good in the preseason. Uh, and it still does look... I believe Bur- Burkowski is their leading scorer. He's got like 13 points this year. Uh, and they've got, you know, just kind of scoring all throughout the forwards. And I believe this winning streak has coincided extremely closely with the injury of Philip Grubauer. <laughs> Martin Jones steps in, rocking a 907, 
and all of a sudden they rattle off five wins in a row. So, I mean, look out for the Kraken. They're in a playoff spot right now. Do I think it will last? Wouldn't count on it. Um, they just got back Magnus Helberg, I think, off waivers. Uh, so maybe that's another goaltending option there for, for the Kraken. Maybe Grubauer ends up as the fourth stringer by the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, their forwards are scoring when they have to. Uh, and their defense and goaltending is holding down the fort as best they can. Let's uh, let's wonder if they can keep it up. I don't know. I'm looking at their opponents right now, and consider that maybe they just had a relatively easy strength of schedule for the last five games. I mean, they're not the easiest teams, but they played the Penguins twice, uh, who stink. They played the Preds. Uh, they played the Flames, who have had a bad little stretch here on a slump. And they played the Wild, who have been doing poorly. And uh, their last loss was to the uh, fucking Seattle, uh, not the Seattle, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so I don't buy it. I am still not on this train. I don't think their forwards are good. I will still clown on you with that for that take, <laughs> even despite the five-game win streak. Uh, and I will, I will hold this position. Uh, I am not scared away. I am not on the Kraken bandwagon, and I have little to no faith that this is a playoff team. Or, or really, if they even if they do make the playoffs, that this team is any good or worth my attention. So, uh, yes, consider me a Seattle anti. Now, <laughs> now that I've been cornered into into digging into this position, uh, I am, uh, yeah, I'm I'm rooting for myself to be right at this point. Okay, I would like to also say I don't think the Kraken are going to make the playoffs, but you know it's nice that they're. You know, it's because like it's weird that like this winning streak, though it is only five games, has flown tremendously under the radar. And it's shocking how, for an expansion team, they seem to have, for their entire existence, been the least relevant team in the entire NHL. Like you would think there'd be some buzz around an expansion team. Last year, no one uttered a word about them while they were bad. Now they got Matty Beniers, and the most anyone's talked about them this year is talking about how they barely played Shane Wright, and now they're fucking him over. He hasn't, like, an assist in seven games or something. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of sort of the crack. Even though now they're doing vaguely well as of late, still no one seems to, to utter a word, which is kind of strange. You just raise your hand to, to say something? <laughs> All right, here you go. I did. I would like the talking stick, please. Um, I think the reason why is because they don't have any fucking excellent players. Their most notable player on the team last year if we look at last year, it was probably Philip Grubauer because he sucked so hard. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Like, who, who else would, what was, that, what was there to talk about? Jordan Everly, Yanni Gord, Jamie Alexiak. Did you hear the list of names you just listed? You, no. expect, <laughs> you expect the people to talk about it. I think the issue is, uh, from a marketing perspective, it's not a marketable team because the talent isn't there. Uh, part of it is they, you know, they'd gotten Vlad Tarasenko, for instance. Uh, had picked him off the blues, they would have someone to talk about. But at every instance, they, you know, they picked some nice players and whatnot. But, you know, they didn't make any splashy plays. And, you know, Vegas, when they would do their thing, obviously the success helped them. But also the fact that they had some decent names. You know, they had Jonathan Marshall, they had Marc-Andre Fleury, fuck, who's a, who's a big name, uh, and then happened to have a good season. It just, it, it put them into the spotlight. Meanwhile, Seattle kind of shrunk away from it. Obviously, it doesn't help that they suck shit. Uh, nobody wants to talk about them either. And, yeah, even today, like, the, the players that you name, right, like, you know, Matty Beneers and Shane Wright, well, why are we talking about them? Because they're notable players. Uh, and I think that just goes to show that otherwise, there's really nothing to talk about on this team. 
Uh, they might be good in your words, bad in mine. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think there's much to say. And and you you know like even even look at their defense. You know most people you, you, there's fucking nobody on that defense. That you know the defense is fine. So it's not fine. It's not fine. <laughs> it's but there's nobody on that defense that's worth talking about. Um, there's nobody quite bad enough to rag on like an OEL. It's just like fucking bad. Uh, and. Yeah, I don't think it's that surprising, frankly. There's just there's no marketability with the roster, and I think it's not something you should prioritize. But it goes to show it it, it kind of presses on with I part of why I don't think this team's good. I don't think there's enough top end talent at all that'll drive you, and that's what's marketable in the first place. I mostly agree. I don't think they're making the playoffs. Um, let's talk about the Jets now, because. I said something in our season preview that you disagreed with strongly when we were talking about the Central Division. We both agreed Colorado is the best team in this division, and we think they'll finish first. Uh, and Chicago and Arizona, I think we had seventh and eighth. I think we had Arizona seventh, Chicago eighth in our predictions, uh, for the most part, which most people did. And that left uh, us thinking there was a mushy middle of five, including Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas, Nashville, and Winnipeg. And I said. All five of these could land anywhere from two to six, and it wouldn't really shock me. And you said, there's no way the Jets finished second in the division. What are you talking about? And I said, I don't know. Connor Hellebuck. And Connor Hellebuck right now is a 938. He's got seven wins in ten games. He's tearing the worlds apart. Your fantasy team member, Josh Morrissey, is like a point a game or something. Uh, and they are t- tops in the central as it stands and on a roll. Despite the fact that I that uh, they don't have a captain right now, Blake Wheeler, as you know, been stripped of the captaincy, was a big story heading into the year. Which, by the I was actually wrong right when that happened. I assumed that that wasn't Rick Bonus's decision. Apparently, he showed up. He was like, "I'm here." Blake Wheeler's not the captain anymore. Is something that actually happened. And Rick Bonus uh, has them winning games, playing well. I haven't been watching them very closely, of course. Maybe we could, because that's probably an interesting place to go next. See how see how things look. What do you have any any thoughts to share on on the Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, I think the bonus Hellebuck combo is is working well. You know, I, I, bonus obviously not known for his offensive coaching style. Uh, he's you know more of a very stay at home safe kind of guy, uh, and I think that's working well in terms of you know sheltering Hellebuck. Not that he needs to be sheltered, but it puts him in a better situation to kind of whip out a nine forty or or almost a nine forty. Um, and yeah, I still don't like this team. I think Hellebuck, yeah, can drag you so far. You can do the Shesterkin thing from last year. And that's great. And so, you know, I think the take that, oh, they'll never finish in second was incorrect. But I don't attribute that to, well, I guess partially I, I, I underestimated how good Hellebuck was. But also I completely overestimated the capabilities of this fucking division um, beyond the avalanche because they stink. My God, they're terrible. Uh, the blues are awful. Horrendous. Uh, nothing going there. The Preds are a tire fire, worse than the fucking Blackhawks and the Coyotes at this point. The the Wild have you know had a nice little stretch of, of the last little while they seem to have recovered a bit, but not particularly impressive. And they're still like you know what six six and one, uh, because of their bad start. I anticipate that they'll they'll make their way up, but not entirely convinced either because of that rough start. Uh, and so you know I I don't remember where I put the stars. Uh, in my season preview, but I probably had them somewhere in the middle, and I still feel that way about the stars. They're somewhere in the middle, but they're fucking second in the division. 
because the rest of the division sucks ass. So yeah, the central stinks, and I I, I am I am deeply I was deeply wrong about how bad this division was. So that's that's where I stand, and the Jets have are, are I still not, I don't buy them whatsoever. I feel good about how terribly the Blues are doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it feels right in my heart, you know. Yeah. Especially because I think I said like I had the Blues outside of the playoffs, and I said look at the goaltending tandem. They let go of Vili Huso, big mistake. Go with Bennington and Thomas Grice. You're kidding me? Now they're both sub 900, uh, and things are things are stinky poo poo for the Blues. But and that's not one of the teams I want to talk about. There are two teams actually besides St. Louis that I want to mention for how badly they're doing. One of them is the Sabers. Um, another shout out to you and I for being right, or you, sorry, you and me for being right. Got to use proper grammar because last week we watched uh, Buffalo uh, win games and scored on the goals. We both said, "I don't buy it." Uh, here comes a tough, tough stretch. Let's see if they can live up to it. They're on a four-game losing streak right now. They're set. They're 500 on the year, not in a playoff spot. Uh, so congratulations to us. The other one is the Flames. This one is throwing a lot of people for a loop. Because when you make so much change in the offseason, you would expect it to, okay, maybe you stumble out of the gate and you t- get a while, take a while to, to mesh. The Flames looked awesome to start the year, and we had a week about them. We talked about how great they looked. And now they've only won two of their last ten. And people are wondering, what's going on? Do you have any answers for the people? Uh, I can... I don't... Well, part of it is Jacob Marsham. We said he needed to get... Well, I think we did Flames Week a few weeks back, and the team was rolling, and we're like, this team looks great, even despite Marsham not looking so hot. Uh, and, you know, if he can get it together, they'll be on fire. Um, but I think the problem is they, they've cooled down a bit, and he has not gotten any better. He's still terrible. His last, like, four outings, five outings, 885, 903, 886, 875, 850. Um, that, that kind of stuff, it just, it won't fly. Uh, and that's how you kind of end up with a, with a what, like a 7-6 game losing streak right now. Um, yeah, I, I... Don't really, un- I don't understand. Other than that, I, I struggle to explain. I am still, I'm one of those people that have been thrown for a loop uh, with, with, besides Markstrom. But they were doing fine with Markstrom doing poorly, which is part of what's so confusing as to why their skaters and their scoring has, has kind of really uh, disappeared, evaporated. Yeah, one other team that's doing badly that I didn't mention I wanted to bring up, but is relevant now, is the Blue Jackets. Last in the Eastern Conference. And did you see the news of of today? Voracek and Wierenski. I didn't see specifics on Voracek, but Zach Wierenski is out the entire season uh, with the with the torn labrum. Uh, or, or or Chris Johnson three hours ago said it was suggested a separated shoulder and torn labrum. So uh, that's bad. Blue Jackets are not making the playoffs. Probably finishing last in the East now. I would guess because. Uh, they are, uh, well, they're not that far behind Ottawa, who are also ass. Uh, but those two have already, you know, for being only about a month into the season, uh, for being three to four points behind third last in the East is significant, especially when those teams are like Pittsburgh and Washington, who should probably be get, getting a little bit better than they've been, uh, at least Pittsburgh. And so uh, I think... We can very comfortably, at this point, being a month into the year, start seriously taking a look at the Bedard sweepstakes and seeing Columbus last in the league already, 
Andrus lost their top defenseman by far. Uh, probably the clear frontrunner at this point to, to finish in last in the whole league. Oh, yeah. 100%. Honestly, I'd be, I'd be happy with just fucking locking that in right now. Um, I think Chicago and Arizona, they have both overperformed uh, their, their talent level. Uh, and they have not been the, the basement dwellers that we thought they would be. Um, just, just, they're just missing the playoffs. So, you know, even that, they gave them a head start. They gave Columbus a head start on the, on the tank race. Uh, and that's to their detriment because Columbus is taking it and running away with it. Uh, I, this, the, the roster is so barren with talent. Uh, it's embarrassing. And, yeah, like what? Zach Wierenski is having a great season up until this point. And even then... They they had like eight fucking points, thirteen games through. So you know it was not happening. And now you take away maybe your best player to start the season because Johnny Gaudreau hasn't been too hot, uh, and you're fucked. But not if you're the Blue Jackets. You're actually in the golden zone because it sure seems <laughs> it sure seems you're on a a a one track to to finishing in dead fucking last in this league. Um, yeah. I can I can see this team going for long stretches of losing streaks because they're fucking devoid of talent. It's remarkable. Um, the only thing that can kind of get them going is if Gaudreau and Line figure it out on that top line. Uh, but you know they have some nice young pieces, I guess, but they're not remotely good enough to make an NHL team uh, combined. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the roster. You know, nice nice collection of of young names. That's great. They still stink. And they're going to stink for the rest of the season. And so Columbus, lock it in. They look horrendous. And I don't see it getting any better. Unwatchable. Minor correction to what I had just said. Blue Jackets by points percentage are actually second last in the league. The Sharks are last. So we may end up with, you know, Columbus-San Jose duel for Bedard. Uh, with the Blue Jackets as well. Adam Boak was out for six weeks. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens is an 863. Let's see what Corpus Salo is, because uh, he was got off of last year. And now in uh, only one game, he is an 889. Uh, I think Daniil Tarasov has actually been the backup for most of the year. Um, I think this all started when they decided to trade Bjorkstrand instead of Patrick Laine. So that was an incredibly boneheaded decision. I don't think Oliver Bjorkstrand would have, uh, you know, made them, you know, a playoff team or anything judging by how they're doing right now. Um, but, you know, it's kind of... I don't know if you saw in The Athletic, their preseason predictions, Columbus was projected to do worse than they did last year. And was like, how could this happen? They have Johnny Gaudreau now. And, blah, 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 blah. and it's because they really overachieved what they were supposed to do last year. Now Gaudreau's there. He's doing meh by his standards. He's, he's fine. He's got like six goals or something. Uh, and they are winning... No games. In terms of players they may sell off for the tank, the obvious ones, the pending UFAs, are Gustav Nyquist, Vladislav Gavrikov, Jonas Korpisalo, if anyone wants him, and uh, Gavin Bayreuther <laughs> of momentary Kraken fame. But I think if Columbus really wants to be serious about the Bedard tank, which I think now, especially with these injuries, they have no choice but to be based on their position, it would, it would be, you know, you have no choice but to be. You have to start looking at other options of players you want to sell off. Does Eric Robinson come into the mix? Uh, Emil Bemstrom, do you want you know get a pick for him? How about uh, how about Jake Bean, even though he's 24? 
How about uh, you know, pretty much anyone else could be on, could be on the table if it means uh, you know, making the team worse, and getting Bedard. Except of course you wouldn't trade away someone like Ken Johnson or Cole Sillinger. You'd probably just send then send them to the minors actually, assuming they're making the team better. And you call up the likes of let's see who's in the here Joshua Dunn, Tyler Angle. Carson Meyer, whoever these people are, you call these players up to fill out your bottom six. This is how you do a Bedard level tank. You have to commit in an extremely emphatic way. There's that word again. Yeah, you took it really far. Yeah, I was not expect. You know, like I think it's one thing. I I don't think. First of all, I don't even think they really need to do it because the talent's so fucking devoid. I think you sell off the pieces that you would if you were just an average bad team in an average bad draft class, uh, and then you could probably call it a day. Where you don't think so though. You're he's shaking his head in disagreement. Uh yeah, I guess I guess with this draft it's worth it. Especially, you know, you, you guarantee yourself one of the top three if you finish in dead last, right? Uh that, and that's that's a big bonus. Uh so in this exceptional circumstance, I don't know, like it 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 also it's part of it is you have to have faith that you can build your way out of it, you know, with because uh, what's the classic examples like Buffalo. Right, where they sh- stripped it down completely to the extreme for McDavid, got Eichel, uh, and continued to suck shit and was were never really able to recover. So I think, you know, obviously I am I am a pro tanker in general, but I think you can't strip it completely down, bare bones, nothing. You sell off all the reasonable parts. Everybody above the age of twenty seven can leave, um, but you know. He said Emil Benstrom. I was like, that's that feels a bit extreme. He's like a fourth liner. Yeah, but you know, he's like twenty fucking three. So you can't keep him around. What's the point? What what's that pick gonna do for you? What is that pick gonna do for you? You got this fourth round pick or whatever the fuck. Okay, you can keep Emil Benstrom. Here's why I think what happened to Buffalo wouldn't happen in Columbus. Columbus, they're still gonna have Goudreau. Still gonna have Warensky. They probably still have Boone Jenner, and they already have a great prospect pool uh, with you know Johnson, Sillinger, Yurichek, Matejchuk. These other you know they've drafted very very well in recent years. So I mean, getting someone like Bedard puts that group over the top, obviously. And what you were saying is what I was going to say before about the incredible top three in this year's draft: Bedard, Mitchkov, and Adam Fantilli, and whoever finishes last is guaranteed one of those top three. Much like whoever finished last in 2015 was guaranteed one of the top two, McDavid or Eichel. So you ended up with Buffalo uh, and Arizona, not both just selling, but both gunning for last place, saying we've got to be last place, and Buffalo narrowly won out. And now they've got Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs to show for it. So congratulations to them. Whereas uh, Arizona uh, used Dylan Strom to, as part of the what they traded away for Nick Schmaltz. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, Edmonton, of course, ended up getting McDavid. But, of course, it's all about the odds, and it's all about guaranteeing one of those impact players. So, I think we will end up with teams like Columbus, San Jose, probably Chicago and Arizona, too, when they fall back down to earth, and maybe even a couple others in the mix, uh, really putting all their cards out on the table, all their chips out on the floor, whatever analogy you want to lose, and saying, we must fall into last place. We must trade our goaltenders away for worse ones. We must 
I don't know, sign Beck Warm and stick him as top line center or some shit like that. Uh, because it will be worth it in the long run for at least for a team like Columbus who already has a decent prospect pool there to build around. If you are someone like Chicago where that's less the case, then that's where you could risk falling into the Buffalo trap. But they've already kind of made their bed in that shit sandwich. So let's see how it works for them. Yeah, I, I, man, it's with with a couple of these teams that are like, what, overperforming into ninth place in their conference uh, up until this point, like Arizona, who's like Bettman 500 right now. I wonder if they are putting themselves in a big deficit for this race. They are. I think it's, it's, it is to their great detriment, but also I don't know with even like if they reach really, really like the, the peak of their, their losing. If they can catch up to teams like, you know, like Columbus, uh, because it is such a big gap, and Columbus is so bad that you can anticipate losing like ten in a row, and like, oh look at that, Columbus went one and nine in that same stretch, and you've only got up two points, right? And so as much as much as it's hard to like, you know, dig out of a hole early in the season to make the playoffs, uh, even if it's a few points out. I would make the reverse argument um, for, but especially because, you know, it's one thing if you're trying to make the playoffs and you're fighting against like, I don't know, the fucking seventh best team in the conference, right? But at this point, you have to, you're fighting the worst team in the league at being the worst team in the league. You have to be the extreme, which makes it that much harder to kind of make ground on them. Um, So, you know, teams like Chicago, teams like Arizona, teams like Montreal, uh, where, you know, nobody anticipated they would be any good or that they still won't make the playoffs. They're, I don't think any of them are in a playoff spot, but they're, like, kind of hovering in that bubble zone and, like, everybody's kind of hyped because, I don't know, uh, optimism or whatnot when, you know, the guarantee of, you know, Fantilli, Mitchkov, or Bedard this year would do much more, you know, in terms of work for continuing the rebuild other than fucking 13 games of, like, you went 500. Let's take a look at the teams right now who are below 400, because there are quite a few. There's Nashville, Vancouver, Ottawa, Anaheim, San Jose, St. Louis, Columbus. If I'm running any of these teams right now, I'd probably go, all right, let's try to get Bedard now. Um, I don't think there's a chance that Pierre Dorian does that in Ottawa. Anaheim was hoping to take steps forward, I think. Um, I think Columbus and San Jose are probably just about resigned to the fact so those are the two I'm very confident saying they may be gunning it out for last place. A team like St. Louis, though, how long do you think things have to stay this bad for them to commit to a tank? Because this is a team that was expecting to make the playoffs. And right now they are, uh, by points percentage, fourth last in the league uh, with two terrible goalies. And a team that wasn't expecting to tank or really sell off at all. Do you think it gets to the point where they consider doing that or, you know, try to ship out some major pieces. I don't see them going for the full tank. Um, just because I think they, they themselves believe that, you know, oh, it's a bad year. You know, if we can just get the pieces back together for next year, um, we can maybe make a run at it again. Uh, I can, abs- because of the expectations that we're heading into the season for St. Louis. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I can see them selling at the deadline. That's one thing. But tearing it down to the studs to, to kind of tank for Bedard, I don't. I don't see it happening. I could be wrong, 
Um, obviously, if you lose the next 10 in a row, uh, you know, things are different. But, you know, barring, barring that, even if they do continue to be bad, which I anticipate, I, uh, yeah, I think St. Louis is going to be a seller at the deadline, but maybe not to the extreme. I don't think they're going to be one of the tankers. Uh, I could see Anaheim doing it. I could absolutely see Anaheim doing it. I think they had optimism, but the team still sucks shit. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, uh, at that point, just sell it and move on and just push it back by a year. I think Ottawa, I think Ottawa's going to regress. I'm still hopeful for Ottawa. I think they're going to regress positively. I think their underlings are okay. Uh, not playoff team worthy, but, you know, I think they can, I don't think they're at that level of a Columbus or San Jose or Anaheim where they would, they would punch it through. And uh, the last team I would consider that's uh, under 400 now is Nashville. Um, they have the goalie and they have one defenseman and some, a couple, two nice forwards. That's it. Uh, and if you completely tore it apart, aside from those four guys, I would not be bothered and I would not be surprised either. Although, now that I think about it, it is still David Poyle, general manager. So I don't see him doing it, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I would. I, I think they should. Um, actually, I think a lot of these teams should. But I think Nashville's a bit more likely because uh, they, they have looked horrible. And, and Saros hasn't been good. But aside from that, he's, the team in front of him has been terrible too. So, yeah. I think the teams, I don't, I don't see Vancouver doing it. Um, so Nashville, Anaheim, San Jose, and Columbus. Those are my picks. Last thing I'll say on this: it'd be pretty insane if Pittsburgh won the lottery. <laughs> it would. Imagine, because we're getting to the point where, like, oh, it's Crosby and Malkin's like almost their twilight era. We're gonna have to go through a dark rebuild. Nope, Connor Bedard, yoink, best player of the generation once again. Yeah, that would be kind of nuts. I'm, yeah, I would like to see him go to a good team. As unlikely as that is, every year. Um, you know, just a, a good, underperforming team wins the lottery and slots him in. Calgary. Oh, stop. Stop. You know, you know, it's possible. It's possible. Unlikely, but possible. So, okay. Yes, I am cheering for that. And I will be cheering for that at the lottery. A good team making it in. Um, so yeah, there's your there's your standings checkup, and, and more precisely your your tankathon checkup, um, for for the the time being. Is there anything any other news you want to cover? No, it is time for the draft of this week. Now we decided. Uh, I don't remember when. I don't remember if we were recording for it. Uh, the draft landmarks, you know. Those places people go to visit when they're touring somewhere and look at and go, there's the landmark, and then go home. Uh, <laughs> that shit. Uh, and I was looking at a list, and I realized there aren't that many good landmarks. There aren't that many cool ones. There are a few. And maybe I'll end up with all of them on my team and destroy you. We'll see. Uh, our last draft, I remember I lost. What was it again? Reverse oh, of course, the reverse directors. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't my best showing. Um, but at least that means I got the first pick for this one. Uh, one rule we established is that these are, uh, only man-made landmarks, like Mount Everest or something, not on the list. Uh, Grand Canyon, uh, how, where, how are we qualifying that? Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, but they have like little plaques and stuff, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Okay, this is my first pick, I'm taking the Great Wall of China. Ty say, was this the one you were going to take? Oh, wait, yeah, you don't have the mic. Wait, I just realized. Uh, 
anyway, yeah. So Tessie was saying there was one he liked. I don't know if that was it. He looks pretty sad though. So I'm thinking maybe it was. Yeah, the Great Wall of China. I, upon reflection, I have realized is the best landmark in the world. Um, it's so big. <laughs> it goes so far, and it's a wall, and you like walk across it. You can't go across the whole thing because it stretches so insanely far. And it's just a wall. There's a Billy Joel song also called "The Great Wall of China." It's like we could have gone all the way to the Great Wall of China, and it's okay. It's not great. The wall itself is much better than the song about it by Billy Joel. Um, I feel excellent about my first pick. I will pass the mic off to you. It's just a wall, you know? It's just, it's just, it's just a wall. Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? Like, it's just like you, you talk about like going to see something and then leaving right away. That's, Don't even try. That's, the, <laughs> that's the epitome of the Great Wall of China. So, yeah, that I, am, I am an anti of the Great Wall of China. Who cares if you can see it from space? Nobody gives. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Overrated as hell. Um, so yeah, that's the Great Wall of China. You know, I have a list of eleven. So there, there's a chance I run out of shit to uh, pick by the end of it. We'll see. But yeah, like you said, there just wasn't much. Um, yeah. Moving on. Uh, we will. I will be picking the Egyptian pyramids. That shit fucking rules. That shit fucking rocks. Uh, just how big they are is incredible. Like, they fucking built that shit. That is insane. Uh, they are very neat triangles. I don't know how they did that bit. I don't even know how they got to the top. Very, very confusing. Uh, but a remarkable feat of uh, whatever, that, what, you know, of, of construction, of engineering, of ingenuity by them Egyptians. Uh, excellent work. Them yes, them Egyptians. Uh, and, yeah. It's, uh, it, there's, like, shit inside, too. You know, it's, like, a big fucking tomb and whatnot. And it's very cool. Very cool. There's, that's why there's so much... Nobody fucking talks about the Great Wall of China. Think about that. But there's, there's all sort Other than that one song that you mentioned. But there was, uh... Yeah, like, in Egypt, pyramids, all sorts of movies. Because they're exciting. They're mysterious. And also, they're extremely impressive. Um... Well, you put a fucking bunch of bricks together, called it a wall. Terrible. You didn't even have to reach past head height for that shit. <laughs> but, but the pyramids, now we're talking. That's some big shit. You had to plan ahead for that. Meanwhile, the wall, you just took the flattest region you could and just, I don't know, stacked a bunch of shit on top of it. Not impressive. The pyramids for the win. I thought... I thought we were taking... Man-made things, not alien-made things. <laughs> I'm joking. The pyramids probably weren't made by aliens. Probably. Anyway, Whoa. my turn to pick. I'm going to take an incredible monument that I have been to. I visited for the first time back a couple months ago. Oh. It's the Colosseum. Oh. What do you think I was going to say? The Tower? <laughs> I'm not saying the Eiffel Tower. But in the Colosseum. Because this, this was an incredible building. Um. One fun thing is I looked up before the tour, like, about, like, I read a little bit about it, and so I found out, like, what year they started building, what year they finished building, and then on the tour, the tour guide asked, does anyone know uh, when the this was finished being built? And I knew, and I felt, you know, impressive. I don't remember the year anymore, but I remember it at the time. It was a, one of those double-digit years. Anyway, so, yeah, you walk in, and basically, they used to, like, you know, 
have like duels there and like put on shows and like depending on like what class you were in Roman society or whatever, you'd sit there or there. And it's like mostly all still intact. And you'd be like, that person sat there. We thought they used to think they sit there, but then we learned like by more historians figured out it was actually probably over there. And we found out about how like they would like transport tigers over from India or whatever. And like very often the animal would die or like the person transporting the animal would die. And if they were lucky enough to like, you know, finally get the animal there alive they would like keep it underground like with no sunlight for five days and then they would like open it up to like be tamed and because it would like be so like shocked by the sunlight it wouldn't actually perform and everyone would like be all mad about it uh and yeah this the steps were steep and you would just be sitting there being like yeah this building hasn't changed in like 2000 years and right down there is where the shit happened um so it's cool to look at, and you really get to feel like you're a part of the history. What more could you want out of a landmark? Yeah, I, I just I wish every day I could be part of animal cruelty, <laughs> which is all that you described. You spent the whole bit, you know, talking about the whole tigers, it's and that cool feeds. Story. It's a cool story. It feeds right into my point, which is that, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'll pass. Uh, I don't want to endorse this whatsoever. <laughs> Which you clearly do. <laughs> yeah, you want to be a part of that that whole thing, right? Um, that's what it sounds like. That's yes. terrible. Uh, and just just an old fucking building, you know? Like it's just like a broken down old fucking building. Like they, what's like fucking? It's just the bell center, but older, right? Like at the end of the day. So yeah, what are we really talking about here? The Coliseum. You know, I hope I'm not offending too many people, but uh, yeah, there we go. That's that's that. I don't really think that's that interesting, you know. Um, my bad. <laughs> All right, well, what's good for you is not good for the guy who's never been there. So you know, thumbs up. So there you go. Uh, that that's a bad pick. I'm off to uh, hmm, Stonehenge. That shit's fucking... I'm going with the alien conspiracy shit. That's just nuts. Look at that. Like, did you, have you see the, how big those fucking rocks are? That's kind of crazy. And they, it's not even just, like, standing up. They got, like, rocks on top of rocks. Like, think how crazy that is. So big and cool. And, uh, yeah. You know what? I'm sure you could show up there and you're like, Oh, what am I just looking at? I came all this way for a pile of rocks. Well, first of all, it's a pile of rocks that's cool to look at. Compared to, I don't know, the fucking Coliseum. But also, uh, they're arranged in a neat manner. And then you can run around amongst them. Because it's so fucking big. So, you know, Stonehenge. I don't know how crowded it is. But uh, I assume you can walk around. And, yeah. That's a good bit. That's a good, it's visually satisfying. I'm, I'm with Stonehenge. You're really digging into the alien theme today, aren't you? 100%. Yeah, well... Uh, I'm going to take one that I'm very surprised is actually still available in round three. The Taj Mahal. Uh, it looks very cool. And it's, it's very nice. And on this list I'm looking at, it's number one. I th- just thought I'd say that. And this the top10s.com. I don't know if you're familiar with this website. Basically, someone just makes a list of like a top ten whatever. And then people can come vote things up, vote things down, add things so that it actually extends way past only ten items. Uh, and Taj Mahal on this top 10 landmarks in the world list is number one and people have left comments such as well, there are actually three comments I'll read them all 
The first one says, the Taj Mahal is beautiful. <laughs> the second comment says, it's found in India! Exclamation point. <laughs> and the third comment, really great architecture. It was built by Shah Jahan, an emperor of the Mughal dynasty. Wow, what a place. I really think the, these comments uh, speak more than I ever could <laughs> on the glory and wonder of the Taj Mahal and its brilliance as a landmark. It's a nice house, you know? It's a nice house. Um, out of those three comments, how many of those things, how many of these people do you think actually have actually visited a place? All of them. <laughs> is that where they learned the Shah Jahan fact? Um, yeah, that is, uh, it's, a, it's a nice one. It's a nice one. Now, it's not as interesting as, let's see, the Sydney Opera House, which is my next pick. It's great. It looks, it's visually appealing. It's got the whole shell look. It's nice. And then you go and you listen to some fucking opera music. Well, it's not the love. The other stuff, you walk in, you walk out, and the only experience you had was walking in and walking out. But instead with this shit, it's like you listen to some art and then you walk out. So, yeah, the opera house, that's nice. That's some good stuff. Thumbs up. Not made by aliens. As far as we know. Um, I'm going to take next the Eiffel Tower. Have you been there? Me too. And it was great. Uh, it's iconic. You go there. You look at it. And it's funny because you can see it from many different parts of the city. When you're farther away, it looks small. When you're closer, it looks big. And from certain angles, it looks very, like, thick. And from certain ang- other angles, it looks thin. And at nighttime, it lights up in pretty colors. And you can go in, or you can stay out. And it also has some kind of, like, lightning adapter to, like, keep people safe from lightning. Uh, and it's also... It's also <laughs> extremely famous. So there you have it. Eiffel Tower, fourth round pick. Cringe. Um... Yeah, extremely overrated. Next up, I will be taking a very underrated monument, the Easter Island Heads. Lots of fucking fun there. Remember, because they're cool, you know, and they're big fucking heads. And, you know, it's a whole bit. Like, I don't know, there's like a thing in SpongeBob. There's like, it's one of the houses. And then, I, it's just, they're, they're very commonplace in common culture. Be- uh, in commonplace in culture in general. I don't know, just, they just show up because they're fun. But also, remember that whole bit, that one day where they discovered they had bodies? They have bodies. Did you know that? That was the whole thing. I remember it was like a field day on Twitter, you know, uh, where it was like everybody was talking about the Easter Island uh, fucking heads because they dug under them and there were some fucking bodies in there. So they're just massive statues. Uh, and I think that's great. So I will be taking them and I see nothing wrong with them. They're fantastic. I just had a new list. Yeah. 127 most famous landmarks in the world to visit. Is this, are you on this site? No. Because why is Alcatraz Island number two? I've never heard of this place in my life. There's no way this is the second most famous place in the world. San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Also, forgot to mention, you get to go to Easter Island if you visit. Great. Who cares? I don't care about Easter Island. Okay. Time to find uh, any other good one. Um, hmm. I'm looking at the long list. Looking at the long list. Looking at the long list. You know what I'll do? 
I'll play to the home crowd and take the Montreal Forum. My God. Yeah. Ooh. It's a landmark. Oh, so can I, am I not allowed to take it? I'm taking it then. Because uh, it is a landmark. It's a historical site. Uh, it is a cultural staple of the city of Montreal in which we live. Not only were there tremendous ice hockey games there where legends of the sport once stood and skated, but uh, there were also uh, massive meetings organizing uh, different strikes in 1972 with uh, the Common Front. All right, so that's very important. And it's still a great place to hang out to this day. Uh, They have seats. (laughs) They have movies you can watch. They have other shit you can go to. That an arcade that I think might be opening up again soon. Um, oh, it's a mall now. It's not a mall. Because they also have like the Montreal Canadiens Hall of Pictures. That's a nice place to go. One hallway. And, and other parts. It's great. And it's a landmark. And it, it is awesome. I'll be taking the Montreal Old Port. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm fucking joking. Uh, I'm not that of a bozo. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, what what landmark would uh, be on an equal footing? And then I realized there are none in the city. I don't know, the big orange out in fucking... Oratory. Oh, yeah, that's fair. It's boring, though. Boring I've, as hell. I've been. Um, next pick, I will be taking... Uh, let's see. Let's... let's I want to figure out if this is a... Yeah. I'll take the Angkor Wat Temple in Cambodia. Big fucking temple complex. Looks very neat. And uh, looks like a cool place to go. So, there we go. Angkor Wat. Visually satisfying. Looks very cool. I would love to walk around that area. With my last pick, I'm going to go with some more lived experience. And take a place I've been to, which is Taipei 101 in Taiwan. It is a very tall building with 101 floors, if I remember correctly. And I, when I was there, went in. Right near the very top, there was a restaurant that like very slowly rotates. So like through the course of your meal, you can see all 360 degrees around. And I had a pleasant time there, so it's going on my team. It's a nice building. You know, I've been too. It's okay. You know, did you see the big bell that's on the inside? It's like, it's like not a bell. Yes. It's like a damper. Yes, I did. I remember. It's a solid bit. Um, Yeah, kind of underwhelming though. I don't know. It's just a tall fucking building. Might as well take the CN Tower. You know what I mean? Uh, what no. Slash Space Needle. <laughs> uh, Burj Khalifa and other things. I'm good. Um, I'm debating between some ruins and then the Leaning Tower of Pisa because it's a funny bit. Um, what do you think? Do you have any advice? What was the first one? Ruins? Yeah, like Machu Picchu or some shit like that. I think it's a pretty bad pick. Yeah. They're okay. They beat the Taipei 101. No. Yes, they do. I'm thinking the Leaning Tower of Pisa because that shit's funny. All right? Think about it. Think about how dumb they had to be to build the fucking building and it tipped over almost. But not quite, but almost. Um, yeah, 
It's funny looking, and everybody can draw it. It's like it's a whole thing. You know, I could draw right now on the wall if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> slanted cylinder with some lines going horizontally. Uh, yeah, we love the Leading Tower of Pisa. I'm four. I'm so glad you took this so I can roast you for it. Okay, because okay. despite the fact I've never been there, I can predict with absolute certainty that people who go there will be like, I can't wait to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Like I've seen all the photographs. Then you get there and go, sure is leaning. And then you leave. Nothing to see. Everything that we know about it is the same as we would know if we saw it right in front of our faces and spent time there. That's why it's a bad pick. It's a slanted ass building and it's old and it's great. It's like the Coliseum, but slanted. The Coliseum actually like had big stuff there. The tower leaves, alright? You know, that, that, uh, anyway. Uh, so the draft is done. But before we officially end it, I want to shout out another commenter on the top10s.com on this list, on the landmark Big Ben, um, which I do enjoy the name of, but I would never take because it's just straight up a clock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a very nicely named clock, but it is just a clock. And Big Ben, which is sixth on this list on the top10s.com, has one comment, says, my name is Ben, and I'm a big boy because I'm in sixth grade right, right now. For those of you that are looking at this in 2018, I should be nicknamed Big Ben. Big in all caps. There's, our, there's the comment. And I don't see the username, but let's see what you think about, about Ben, who should be called Big Ben as of being a big boy in 2018. You know what? If he was such a big boy and he thought he was such a big boy, he could have made it happen himself. You just start calling yourself Big Ben and it's a good bit and it's it's dumb, but people would go get it. I think people would buy it. You know? You, obviously, making your own nickname is very cringe. Uh, but if you really, if he, to the point where he's like dropping this in on the internet, that he wants to be known as Big Ben, he, <laughs> that is, it is his prerogative to go out and make it happen. And I hope he has in the last four years since he made that comment. Uh, let's see. He's 16 years old right now, probably, yeah. approximately. So, Big Ben, wherever you are, I hope you're known as Big Ben. I think what's extra cringe about it is not is going online to where no one knows you being like, people should call me Big Ben. Like, you're already mad that they don't. Uh, actually, when I was in Sejep, uh, in an English class whose theme was time travel, it was in a group project. We needed a name for our group for some dumbass reason, and like a time-related name. So we decided to call ourselves Big Ben. It's like the most famous clock, and it ruled. That's that story. Uh, so to recap the teams, on my victorious team, we have the Great Wall of China, the Coliseum, Taj Mahal, Eiffel Tower, Montreal Forum, and Taipei 101. And on Taisei's team, we have the Egyptian Pyramids, Stonehenge, the Sydney Opera House, the Easter Island Heads, the Angkor Wan Temple, and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Ugh. It leans. Those are the teams. Poll will be up in like, you know, three or four days or so, as long as uh, we don't forget. Uh, and now we just got to pick a team for next week. Uh, we could keep on going with our, like, uh, our, oh, who did we not do last year? Um, 
But I feel like it's not like guess who we don't have to stick by that if there's a team that really does interest us. Um, so who is still on our list from last year? We'll see if any of them do interest us significantly. Well, I have Montreal on this list. I don't know if we've done them, um, but I, I thought I'd add that. We did do them like, at the very end of last year. Okay, then I guess I forgot to add it. Uh, we, otherwise, we have Detroit, Chicago, San Jose, LA, Philadelphia, Carolina, and uh, Rangers and Columbus. Thinking? No, because I'm devoid of thought right now, but go ahead. I think we got to do Columbus. If they're going to be, you know, if here comes Tank City, uh, we got to see what's up there. And watch Goudreau. We haven't done that yet with the Blue Jackets. So let's just make, I think, weren't we talking about almost doing Columbus last week? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's only natural. Uh, let's just see what their schedule is. They've... All right, yeah, set three games. Saturday against the Islanders. Uh, whoa, what's next? Tuesday against the Flyers. And Thursday against Montreal. So if they can't muster up a single win against these three teams, then, oh boy, are the Blue Jackets in for a long season. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think this is going to be a great way to get a gauge on them and how serious they are. In these this Bedard chase. Yeah, we're about to watch some bad hockey. For <laughs> the next week, I don't know if we have ever watched uh, such a bad week in terms of quality of opponents, but also quality of team, uh, which should be interesting. Um, other than that, I have nothing else to add. Apparently, the Islanders have done better. So. Did they lose two nothing to Arizona yesterday? Oops. Uh, maybe not then. So uh, there we go. Blue Jackets it is. It has been agreed upon. All right. Excellent. Tune back in next week on November 18th. And when we'll talk about the Blue Jackets, plus whatever ongoing news is there are of the NHL, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter while it still exists as well. And uh, you can enjoy yourself in the meantime. The end. <laughs>